All right. Uh, so to start off, a couple questions. Uh, well, for all of these, I'll direct them to one of you. But if others of you have input to throw in there, the right, yeah, if, if, if you get it wrong the first time, feel free to pile on. Um, so first to Dave, two questions about, or a couple questions here about um, the idea of good pretending. How do you train yourself to behave as if you love something? How do you build that muscle memory? Uh, well, you, uh, you, you do it over and over and over again. And you fail, and you don't do it very well. And then you have an opportunity to, to look back and, and confess the sin. Usually the sin in, in my life is in that kind of thing is, uh, uh, like I said, either feeling sorry for myself or um, whining and complaining um, uh, and, not, and not rejoicing in what happened um, and giving it my best shot even. Uh, so you confess that, you get cleansed, all, all your righteousness, all, all unrighteousness is cleansed, and you get up and you, uh, you do it again. So um, uh, maybe like pretending is, uh, maybe another picture to use for uh, guys is uh, when you go into the gym, if you're, if you're a guy who goes to the gym and you work out, um, and you don't accomplish your goal, how many sets you were going to do, how many lifts or whatever you do, the weight you were going to lift, um, and you're a man, you don't go, well, I can't do that and leave and never go back to the gym. You, you, know, you, you get some rest, you, and then you go the next day and you do it again, and um, you keep working on it. Pretending's kind of like that, I think, because, um, uh, because the other thing that's weird about pretending is you know you're pretending. You know you don't really want to do that thing, um, and you're, you kind of have to fight yourself all the way along the line, but... Um, but falling back on the, whether or not you really believe in the power and the promises of God, I think is, is, is also really important. Do you really believe that God's going to be working through you to, to make you more into that godly man that, um, that he's promised that he's going to? Well, we don't believe that about ourselves a lot of times. There's a, there's a prayer in Ephesians chapter 1 that I think is, um, is really helpful to think about. Paul has just... Uh, finished telling us all the things that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit has done with regard to our salvation. And then he ends this in this prayer in, in, in Ephesians 1 with, uh, the prayer is um, not that we would have more power, not that we would have even, but we would have knowledge of the power that we have. Um, so the, the problem isn't, I, used to, I was a worship leader, we used to have this one song, we used to sing, more love, more power, more of you in my life. Yeah, sorry. Um, but but we don't need more power. We need more knowledge. Um, we, we, need to, we need to confess our unbelief of the power of God at work in us. And, and I, I think that opens the floodgates for, yeah. for doing it. Related to that, um, is there a difference between this idea of good pretending and fake it till you make it? Um, I think sometimes we think that fake it till you make it is is bad because it's fake. So are those things different or is actually faking until you make it if they're the same thing? Is that actually, like, we, sh we should just do that more? Um, so the difference I would say, the only difference I, I think about that, that idea of fake it till you make it and pretending is again, the first thing I'm doing is I'm envisioning what, not just what God wants me to do, but I'm envisioning what I would do, what I would want to do if I was, um, if I was handling the situation before me in a godly way. 
And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm asking myself, how does God see me in light of his power and promises instead of just, um, I want to be a better person? Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's more tied to that relationship that I have with Christ. It's still based on faith. It, it, so it's based on faith. It's not, um, it's not just kind of ginning up within myself. It's starting with the vision of who God says I'm going to be. Yeah, good. Andrew, as a Christian CEO, would you hire non-Christians and promote them to leadership? Would you ask them to keep their alternate faiths and views out of the workplace? What would that look like? That's a good question. Um, so <clears throat> this is, I'm going to answer this illegally. Um, I do discriminate in hiring. Uh, and, and I'm careful about it, right? And you want to you do this in a wise and careful way. Um, hire lots and lots of non-Christians. Put them in various positions of leadership. Um, but, but you also want to be very strategic. I would make sure that there was never a critical mass of non-Christians in a given department because they would tend to work together and start to impact the culture, right? And so that's where, um, and again, that's not legal. You're not allowed to, I'm not even allowed to say this, but I'm doing it anyway. Um, so you, that's, you need to be really careful and be aware of the fact that the people that you have in your business are creating your culture. Ben Horowitz says, company culture is what everyone does when the CEO is not there, right? That's what he defines company culture as. What do the people do when the CEO is not there? And so you're like, I want a critical mass of people that are going to think like biblical Christians in this department because I know that that's going to deeply impact the lives of these other people. And so I would look for, um, I would be happy to have um, people who were not uh, Christians in leadership positions. Um, but I would just be clear where I would be a steady drumbeat of this is the culture we're creating, this is the way we act, this is the way, and it'd be surprising, a lot of, you know, when I left MZ, there was a lot of non-Christians that came to me, and they're like, this is the best work environment I've ever been in because of these Christian uh, principles, um, and I presented the gospel on our, you know, last company presentation, I'm like, if you guys love this culture, it's not coming from nowhere, Right? Um, and, and it was a great opportunity to be like, well, I'm going to do something that my owners would not want me to do, and it's the right thing to do, and have at it, right? So, and uh, again, I'm not going to spend too much time plugging this, but this is part of the work that Red Balloon now does for employers. So uh, we have uh, people like Louder with Crowder. Um, we do all of their hiring for them, where we post their jobs on Red Balloon, but we post them on... LinkedIn and Indeed and all these other places, but then we're the first cultural screen for his organization uh, because we have uh, labor lawyers on staff, we have systems in place to make sure that we're hiring people that are going to be a good culture fit for, um, for his organization. Um, and we're now doing that for actually quite a few employers. So uh, we want to make sure that these companies, if people are your most important asset, if your culture is what the employees do when the CEO is not there, then you need to make sure you have the right people in the door, right? Um, and, and sometimes I would rather hire a very hardworking, thoughtful pagan than a self-important, um, entitled Christian, right? So it's not a universal. There's a lot of really uh, lousy employ uh, Christian employees out there. So don't, you know, that can't be your only filter. You want a meritocracy. You want to hire the best people. But you do need to be aware that you are building a culture and you're building it out of the, the worldview of the people that are there. 
um, and you need to be clearly aware of who you're putting in leadership, what your critical mass of different worldview is by different department. Um, and again, that's, that's why we're doing this for companies because they want help yeah. accomplishing that. Jerry, how are men supposed to learn their family's needs and issues without being control freaks? I would say uh, primarily through spending time. So if you are spending time with your family, with your, with your wife, um, and not just with her around the kids, but with her out with you, taking a walk around the neighborhood, talking various times during the day, staying in touch. And if you are hanging out with your kids, uh, watching how your kids interact with one another, I didn't get into that as much, but you want to make sure that your kids are in fellowship with each other, that they're loyal to each other, that they speak sweetly and not sharply. You want to make sure that you're observing the way that your wife uh, speaks to your kids and the way your kids speak to her. So just simply through time. And then having spent time and, and caring enough to do that and enjoying them, Andrew talked about how dominion is fun, and it's, it's fun in the home, right? It's fun to be in fellowship with everybody and enjoy these wonderful image bearers that you live with. You will, therefore, if you're spending time, they know you enjoy them, you're investing in them, you provide security of love and, and uh, desire and prayer, they know you're for them, and then you will have the capital to ask questions, to say, what's up with you know, this and that, and, and uh, how's it going with your friend there? Is she manipulating you? Um, are you manipulating her? You, know, you, you can ask questions like that, probing questions that matter, but you can only do that if you have this wonderful relationship where you've invested. Yeah. I've heard uh, my dad say this before, but I think it's the importance of, well, while quality time is really important in your family, this is where quantity time, in some ways, is actually more important. You need to be present around a lot. Yeah. Because that's where you're going to pick up on those things. You don't get to say, so I know we haven't really, I haven't said hi to you in like four days. I'm going to pencil in 30 minutes, and it's just going to be, it's all about you, and, and I'm just going to have that quality time with you. Yeah. yeah, it's like, well, I don't, you're, not, you're not a therapist. You're, a, you're a, and that's why therapists don't work really, um, generally, because um, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. So yeah, quantity time, foundational love, and then that stuff flows naturally. Yeah. Then you can be strategic. Yeah. Good. Andrew, you mentioned making fun of someone on Twitter. How does that align with respecting people, showing Christ's love, and being different in how we interact? And I would actually add to that. Why do you say things like woke tards? <laughs> uh, well. <clears throat> You need to understand who you're fighting, right? Um, if you are fighting an employee that's in your company and you're fighting someone who's just trying to figure out, uh, you know, what is this Christian worldview and you're rude and abusive to them, then obviously you're speaking the gospel there, right? But should Adam have been or, rude? Or you're not speaking the gospel. Right, right, you're not, yeah. right. Should Adam have been rude to the serpent? I think yes. <laughs> and if you don't, we should talk later. Um, so there, there, are, there are places where we should be fighting, and you're not necessarily fighting that person for your sake. You're fighting it for all the people who are like, oh, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that. And you're like, no, it's a terrible point, and you're an idiot for thinking that. Um, and here's why. And then you unpack it, right? And so you're doing it not for their sake, but for the people who are watching. Um, if you have an employee who's a rotten employee and you're not willing to have the awkward conversation to call them out on their behavior, 
you're actually being unkind to everyone else in your organization, right? You're always going to be unkind to someone. Um, and if someone is being um, a sinner and you're not dealing with that, then you're being unkind to everyone else and you're being unkind to that person. Um, and so um, you need to make fun of things that are absolutely ridiculous, right? And I think Christians have gotten bad at that when they say a boy can be a girl. Like, you should laugh out loud. Like, we hear it lots and lots of times, but, like, think about that. Like, a boy can be a girl? N no. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And so if someone says something really stupid, you need to, you know, and uh, you need to call them out on it. So um, you need to be careful who you're fighting and why you're fighting. And as long as you know that, then you should be willing to fight. Um, you know, just remember, Adam should have fought the serpent. Good. Quick follow. Can I get in here? Go, Quick please, follow up. Please. So the um, Jesus made fun a lot yeah. of the Pharisees. Are are the woke the Pharisees? So he he turned the word Pharisee into a dirty word. That was a respect. Right. That was a respectable crowd. Right. And woke uh, people are proud of their wokeness. Right. And you say a word like woketard, turning it into a word like Pharisee, what Jesus did with the word Pharisee. That's right. Is that, is that fair? I mean, that's, that's the goal. Like, what they're saying is absolutely, is, is society destroying, right? The homosexual lifestyle will destroy a society. And church destroying. It's not like we don't it's, have this problem in the it's church. It's a church destroying, society destroying lifestyle. It's not just something that's like, well, let's just try and live and let live. And like, no, you need to understand, we love the, you know, we love the sinner, but not the sin. And you need to poke fun at that thing and, and not take them as seriously as they want to be taken, yep. right? Um, I'll throw this out there, and any of you can jump in on this first. Um, how do you balance work with uh, sleep, rest, family time, um, and building up your wife and raising your kids? So, Andrew, at the end, you were talking about, you know, you'll lose sleep, but that's, you'll be fine. Yeah. Suck it up, be a man. How do you balance all of that, trying these new things, being really busy, while not draining your family. Yeah, um, I always had to. I always set rules for myself, um, and like you can catch up on sleep when you're dead. You're gonna have a lot of years in the grave. That's when you can <laughs> catch up, so you'll be fine. Um, and you should always be dying to self, right? But I always had rules like when I was running a company, there was lots of opportunities to travel, and I said I my goal is no more than three nights away a month, and um, and a max of you know five days away a month. Um, a night's away a month if I'm going to Europe or something like that where it's just really hard to keep it at three, right? But the goal was three, and then once I accomplished that, then the goal was, okay, I'm going to shoot for a couple months where I have no nights away um, because, and that just means I'm going to say no to opportunities because what's the point if you gain the whole world and lose your family, right? And so I, you need to set rules for yourself, um, date nights with your wife, um, Elise and I, uh, we love to go for long walks at night, put the kids to bed, go take a long walk. Um, it's good exercise. Well, it's not great exercise, but it's fine exercise, but it's mostly we're building a relationship. Um, and just having, I tend to be a, an OCD systematic guy, and so I need to have rules and plans in place, um, dates with kids. Um, you know, Saturday, I try and take at least two of my kids out for lunch. And like, we're gonna go and we're just gonna talk about stuff and we're just gonna hang out and we're gonna do things. Um, find ways to die to self and then constantly be doing an audit of your time, 
right? I would always, you know, every six months or so kind of sit down and audit my time. How am I spending my time? Am I um, raising my kids the way I should? Am I investing in my wife the way I should? Am I making my family battle ready? Am I investing in the community? Like I'm on these boards of these nonprofits. Are these really the right boards to be on? Um, and so just do an audit and you'd be surprised as long as you're intentional um, and you don't have a lot of, I don't take a lot of me time or self time because that's really boring. What do you do for, for self-care? <laughs> for self-care? Shave your head every day? Yeah. I do, I do give myself my own haircuts. Yeah. Yep. And I use soap in my beard, so that's like self-care. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for doing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, thoughts on paying wages under the table, um, thinking in terms of the gig economy. I don't know what the you want me is. So yeah, Andrew, Andrew. First. All right, let's 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 Dave delve into that. the illegal since I'm yeah. already there. Let's let's talk black market. Fantastic. Let me ask you a question. If you're on the street and a robber comes up to you and says, "How much money do you have?" Do you feel like you need to answer honestly? Just think about it. Like, oh, I've got a hundred dollars and I've got another two hundred dollars in my shoe. Like, do you really do that? You'd be like, oh, I've got twenty bucks, and then you give him twenty bucks, and you're like, mm-hmm. Right? Uh, so do you feel like an answer honestly if someone's robbing you? Right? Now, we need to render to Caesar that which is Caesar's and render to God that which is God's. Um, but I would argue that much of taxation today is more like that highway robbery than a uh, judicious government. I am not opposed to paying taxes as long as we're getting services for those taxes. And, um, you know, Romans 13 was written by a man who spent a lot of time in prison. Um, just remember that. Um, but I would also say Romans 13 is there, and we need to be um, render honor to those who honor is due. So um, am I okay with paying cash for a babysitter and not reporting that on taxes? Hell yeah. Uh, so, no, I think, I think you know, we need to understand if, if it's a highway robber that's coming by, you don't always have to, like every nickel and dime, I'm going to tell you exactly about. Um, but you don't want to put yourself in a position where you lose a cultural battle because you're cheating on taxes because you just wanted to have more money for yourself, yeah. right? That's the wrong motivation, right? And it would be better to pay all your taxes and not have much money, but have the moral standing with your coworkers to be able to bring their everlasting soul into salvation, right? So it's all about your motivation. Yeah. Good. Dave, would you explain the difference between enjoying God's gifts and the man whose barns were filled and partied and then was struck down by God? Uh, thankfulness to God. The, the, the man who was, uh, he was thankful for his barns. He was thankful for his very full barns. Um, but his thanks seemed to just fall flat right on the barns. And that's where his, his joy was. Um, as opposed to uh, seeing those, that full barn um, as a gift from God that is to be enjoyed right now and shared uh, and used for his glory um, but is held lightly because you, you, because as Solomon talks about, it's, it's all vanity. It, it all goes away tomorrow if, if God says it's gone now. Um, but it's not gone right now. He's given it to me right now. So I'm going to enjoy my wine and find bread tasty. I'm going to enjoy um, uh, my family and my wife and None of those, I have no guarantees they're going to be here tomorrow. And that's part of what, that's part of what God was teaching that man right now. Your soul's required of you now. Yeah. Um, so you, you, the, the difference is he was putting his trust in the full barns. He was 
enjoying the full barns without giving thanks to the one who provided for them, and, and that, that now became his idol instead of the it, It's when a gift is turned into an idol that you, uh, yeah. that you lose, the, you lose the, the right kind of joy. Yeah. Uh, Jerry, hypothetical for you. Before the eating of the fruit, what was Adam and Eve's relationship like? Before they fell into sin and death. Yeah. <laughs> did, did they argue? No. Uh, they would not have sinfully argued in a way that, um, that, that manifests broken fellowship. Uh, they were immature and not in an, a sinful, culpable way, but in the way that, you're, that we are all immature and still growing into the image of Christ. And so Adam still would have had to lead. Adam still would have made mistakes, which are not sins. You can make a carpentry mistake. You can, um, you know, Adam, Adam could build a callus. He could be sore. He could get stronger. Um, he could study his wife and grow in wisdom. So all of those things are all part of being a person who is growing into maturity, which is what we're going to be doing forever, if you think about it. Further up and further in, in a thousand years from now, we will still be growing up into maturity into our infinite God. And what that will look like, well, we don't know. It's going to be better than we could ever hope or imagine. But, And we're going to be in the new heavens and the new earth, I think, learning how to take dominion even better and learning, you know, you can master the cello next century. Uh, in heaven, and then after the resurrection, you know, we'll be back here with new bodies. Um, so I think it would have been great. It would have been, obviously it would have been great, and it would have been a growing, maturing thing as they learn from one another. And as he still led, because the father is the head of Christ, Christ is the head of the church, the man's the head of the woman, and that's creational, and that is not sinful. So we have equality and hierarchy in our God, and that's why we have it here in, in marriage, and it's not sinful. Can I jump in there for just a second? Because I think in a, in a practical way, um, I can see, so my wife has been given to me as a helper, and so many times she has saved my bacon because she saw stuff I didn't see. Um, in the kids or in my life or in situations, she comes and she speaks into my life with wisdom, and I, I can receive that, so that immaturity, we're all growing up. And so that's why she's been given to me. That's one of the reasons she's been given to me. And um, she can do that, in, and we can remain in fellowship as she says to me, you know, you're doing this wrong. Here's what you have forgotten. And I can receive that in such a way that it's, I'm thankful and it's turning and helping me. And it can go the other way too. She can also come to me complaining and carping and, uh, and whining because I'm haven't because i not doing it right. And now, um, the same information might be coming to me, but we're out of fellowship. I think before Adam and Eve fell into sin, it was the former. That's, that's, that's the way, and that's the way in Christ we can be towards one another. Yeah. Conversation whiplash. <laughs> Mandatory DEI training in the workplace. So this is for Andrew to start. Should you go and um, visibly not participate, or should you just not show up? Depends, right? That's what you're <laughs> it depends. Uh, the context is everything. You need to be in wisdom. You need to not go because you're afraid of a fight, and you need to. Um, sometimes you need to go because you want to fight, 
and you need to fight in the right way and you need to have the people in the room realize how um, offensive this is, how discriminatory it is to say that someone is valued only by who their parents are because of their correct skin color or because of sinful life choices, they're more valuable. Um, you need to, so you need to understand you're not doing it for you. <clears throat> you're doing, you're either going or not going as a way to lead and be kind to your coworkers as taking dominion in the workplace, right? And that requires a lot of wisdom. Sometimes you need to file an, a religious exemption, which you are allowed to do, and say this is um, something that I'm inappropriate, that I think is inappropriate, um, and I don't want to value my black brothers and sisters in Christ less by saying that they just get a promotion regardless of what they're good at because that's insulting to them. And so I feel totally uncomfortable with that and I don't want to go to a training who's pushing a worldview that has nothing to do with my job. Nothing to do with my job, right? Or you need to go and, um, and you need to ask the pointed questions that are probably going to get you in trouble at that meeting, right? It's easy to visibly be like, oh, I don't want to do this. But that's actually just you being grumpy at that meeting. That's not leading. Leading is a being a cheerful warrior, going to the training and saying, Mr. Trainer, I need to understand why this person's sexual orientation um, needs to be on display for them as an engineer, right? I was asked once, someone said, would you hire a homosexual? And I said, well, if the person defines themselves by their sexual behavior, then they're probably not going to be a great employee, right? If I was hiring someone out of college and they defined themselves as I'm a Casanova and I slept around all through college, and that's how they're defining themselves, not based on the work they can do, not based on their name. They're like, I'm a sexually perverted person. Hi, right? Like, yeah, I'm not going to hire you because you're defining yourself by a sin, right? And so if I, I, I have worked with a lot of people who I found out later were homosexuals, but they were great workers, great. Um, and, you know, they need to repent of their sin. They need to deal with that. Um, but if someone is their headliner is what they do in the bedroom, that's weird, right? In any other context, that's weird. And so... And we've forgotten how weird that is. And we forgot is. how weird that is. Yeah. Who defined yourself by like, you know, hi, I'm Andrew. I sleep with my wife this many like, like, <laughs> what? Like, that's just weird. And we've forgotten that. And so asking those kind of questions is going to get you in a lot of trouble. Maybe we should just start introducing ourselves. <laughs> you could. Um, I, that's, you're going to introduce different problems in your church. Yeah, so, so I think just um, calling it out as weird. Like, okay, why? What? And so, but that's the thing is don't, don't just go and be a, a grumble bug in the corner. Right. That's not leading, actually. If you're going to go, go and with an intention and a battle plan and actually have thought it through before you show up or do a religious exemption and say, I think this is weird. It has nothing to do with my job. I respect the people I work with, um, and this is a waste of my time. But do one of those, but don't just be a grumble bug. Just a quick follow-up. Yeah. Would you say that in this environment, it is our society that has gotten uber political. And like you said, you want your workplace, your company to be a meritocracy yep. where business is the thing. And so you, you, you're not leading and we shouldn't have clubs about our sexuality at work. And this kind of thing 
they make us feel like we are being super political and that where we're actually saying like, let's work. Like Red Balloon, you guys, I think I remember when you first came out, you guys got people that were like, and can we require our employees to not have gotten the vax? So they were right. going the other way. They were, right. they were mirroring the, the weird political stuff on the left and they were, and you guys said, no, you can't yeah. vax, you can't discriminate either way. It doesn't have anything to do with your business. Right. Yep, 100%. And I think that's what we need to get back to. And someone asked, um, can we have neutral, um, someone asked me yesterday, can we have a neutral work environment again? And we need to be careful because neutrality can, um, can be uh, a lie. Um, and the only way that we can have a neutral work environment is if we have leaders who aren't neutral. If you are a godly Christian who has a backbone, that's how you have a safe work environment, not um, by you saying that I'm buying into this lie of neutrality. Um, Christ came and conquered the world and is conquering sin and is king of, king of the world, right? We're, it's not neutral. It's not, right? But you can have a work environment where a non-Christian can feel totally comfortable because all of a sudden they found a place where the skill that they have, the ability they have, is why they're going to get a raise or a promotion or anything else. And that can only happen truly because there's no, there is no freedom apart from Christ. But when godly men are leading, then non-Christians can be free and they can see the gospel through that. that a Christian company, a Christian environment is one in which you can love your homosexual neighbor and you can hire him or work with him beside him and that's not an issue. If he's not gonna make it an issue trying to politicize the environment, Correct. we are certainly not. And when we are in control, we will use that control in a godly way to make sure that political bullying is not happening. That's Christian. Correct. Yeah, and and yeah. that's Christ-like. Because right, right. Christ is allowing all this sin in the world still. Right. Like he could just stop it all right now. Right. But he doesn't. And instead he has us, he has his ambassadors here, who are to set up structures, institutions, families, societies that claim Christ's lordship and let a whole bunch of sinners, including ourselves, be a part of it. Yep. While he does the work of sanctification and, and uses us in the process in different ways. Amen. Right? Yep. A couple questions related to that, those, having those direct conversations. Um, do you do that um, uh, in the workplace, have the, having those direct conversations, particularly when it comes to um, calling out a sin that you see going on? Um, do you, is the goal to do that in the workplace or try to let it work out? Um, and does it matter if you're an employee versus an owner-manager? Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, if you don't have authority over someone, you can't go and just, um, you know, if I'm, if I'm a coworker with someone and I see something that is clearly a sin in their life, I'm like, hey, I'd love to buy you a beer after work and talk about this, right? Whereas I'm a manager, um, the levers that I have is how does it impact their work performance, and sin always does, and I can use that as in the language of your work performance is terrible because you're looking at porn or you're playing video games and you're being lazy. Um, and I can see laziness in you and I know, and I don't even have to tell them, I know that that laziness is going home and you're being a lazy husband and father, right? But I can deal with the laziness here because that's the lever that I have. So you need to understand sphere sovereignty and all that stuff, right? If they're your employee, if, they're, if, they're, if you're their manager, you deal with it at work and you deal with it in the context of work knowing full well that it will slop home. If they're a coworker, you take them out for a beer. Yeah. 
Good. Um, we have a few uh, very young men here, and so related question to that, but um, maybe in the as they're entering the workforce or not, they're not in the workforce yet. Um, do they have those direct conversations um, on their own, or should they talk to their parents first? I mean, I'd be curious what these guys say, but yeah, you're. Uh, you probably have far less wisdom than you think you do. So um, those type of conversations require wisdom. Uh, they require you actually wanting to make the person better, not just prove that you're smarter or more righteous or whatever. Um, and so you better get advice, and if you don't, then you're probably just arrogant. But I'd be curious what these guys have. Yeah, I would agree. Well, you say earlier, you say to everybody, you need to have a plan. Yeah. And. Um, the, the younger you are, the more counsel you need in putting that plan together, making sure that you've run that plan by somebody. Yep. And so I would say, yeah, to the younger guys particularly, but really to all of us, um, I mean, it'd probably be a good idea for all of us to be sharing with one another, what's your plan? <laughs> and so someone could say to you, that's really a stupid plan, and let, let's talk about that before, before you just kill yourself, you know, <laughs> yeah. un, unintentionally. But yeah, young guys particularly should, yep. should do that. Safety in many counselors, so they're gonna see. You might not be doing something stupid, but you're almost certainly gonna have gaps, and guys that are wise and love you are gonna be able to say, what about this, what about that? Yeah. But there's a difference between that and, um, I think the question is also about not going into, like you wouldn't go talk to the owner about your coworkers' problems. Yeah. Do you go talk to your parents about your friends' problems or that kind of thing? Yeah, the good rubric is, um, is the person I'm talking to part of the problem or part of the solution? Right? If they're part of the problem, it means that you're actually dealing with this situation with the person. If they're part of the solution, you're getting advice from your parents or from your pastor. They're part of the solution. But if you're talking to someone and they're not part of the problem and they're not part of the solution, then it's just gossip. Don't talk to them. Yeah. Um, what are some practical ways when, when you are busy? This is maybe related to an earlier question, but. Um, when things are so busy with work, home life, um, this idea of taking dominion in all these different spheres, um, it can be easy to neglect some of that taking dominion of, of yourself. So Bible reading, prayer. What are some practical ways to maintain that um, and not let that slide when you're so busy trying to fulfill this calling that, um, that we have? So I'll open that to all three of you. Have a Bible, have yeah. a, <laughs> next question. <laughs> I mean, have a Bible reading plan and stick with it. Um, have a, you know, I, um, I'm not really a prayer journal guy, but I write down whenever I have big prayer requests because it is so fun to look back and realize, oh, God answered that, right? Because it's so easy to get into the spot where I'm praying for this thing, praying for this thing, and then the problem kind of goes away and you're praying for the next thing. Um, but like you have a big thing like, hey, Lord, I'm making this big decision. I'm, you know, like Hezekiah, I'm laying it all out in front of you. You need to bless it because I'm, I'm way out of my depth. Um, and then you realize, you look back several months later, like, wow, God was so faithful in that moment. And if you never look back and realize that. Um, and so just, I mean, little things, like have a Bible reading plan and stick with it. Um, write down your big prayer requests so that it just makes you more intentional. And I think that's the whole theme of this whole thing, to take dominion. You need to have a plan, and you need to be intentional, and you need to build systems and process so that you're not just making it up as you go all the time, but you're using your time well to glorify God, um, and it's not about you. How about that? That's good. 
Come on, pastors. Yeah. Bring the heat. <laughs> Pretend. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Pretend. Imagine what it would be like if, you, if everything was in place. And, uh, because the first thing that happens to me, if I'm overwhelmed, like there's all these different spheres, and, I'm, and I'm, I feel like everything's failing, and it's not, I'm, I just can't keep up right now. Um, uh, what, if, if I'm honest with myself, I also realize what I'm doing right now is whining and complaining. So if, if I'm gonna clear the air, the first thing I need is to confess that sin and give thanks for all the things that God has given me to do. <laughs> he gave them to me to do, right? So, and he's a good God and he's gonna use them. And uh, as a good friend of mine, Brett Baker always says to me, Dave, that's why God gave you big shoulders. That's why he gave men big, sh- broad shoulders. You can carry it, get to work. And, and so now pretend, um, which means um, like Bible reading programs and those kinds of things, gr- what's, what's the first thing that you really need to grab onto and, and change? And now go do that. Um, part of being overwhelmed is you, you, you think you see this huge big pile of stuff you're not getting done and all these different, and the pile overwhelms you. Well, just go pick up the first thing on the top of the pile and take care of that, and now you've begun a pattern, and you'll work through that pile. Yeah, I would say, like, if you see someone deadlift 600 pounds, you don't start by, like, man, I'm going to deadlift 700 pounds. <laughs> like, that's not going to work. In fact, you're probably going to hurt yourself, right? You say, okay, I want to get my spiritual life in order, plus I want to start three businesses, do a housing development, and start a nonprofit, right? Okay, well, that's probably a bad idea to try and do all those things right now. Um, but you're going to build muscle memory for all of these things, and as long as you're being faithful in your Bible reading and your prayer, um, so... You know, take on as much as God's given you to do. Know you're a man, so you have broad shoulders, and work up to being as busy as you want to be. And that's where, like, okay, where do I want to go? What's my plan to get there? Um, and I'm going to start by, you know, deadlifting 20 pounds, which is about where I'm at. Nice. <laughs> I'd say, uh, so you're really busy. Well, don't lose your priorities. So um, your Bible reading plan, if you want to be a man, you ought to be reading three and a third chapters a day at least, and that'll get you through the Bible in a year. 1,189 chapters, three and a third a day, so go ahead and make it four because you're going to miss some days. And if you just read four, four chapters is usually not more than eight pages and is usually closer to five or six. And if you're just reading it, you're not memorizing, you're not having some sweet time, don't, don't pencil out 45 minutes. Pencil out 10 minutes and read fast. And if you have time later to come back, well, good. Get through it. When the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, he gave them the Lord's Prayer. It takes about 45 seconds to say it. Um, so say it. And, and you have 45 seconds? Mm-hmm. Sure you do. And if you get priorities, if you get out of fellowship, if you're rushing out the door, you get a fellowship with your wife or you're rude to your parents, go ahead and pick up the phone on the way to the thing or send a text, seek forgiveness. So short accounts. These things don't take a lot of time to those who prioritize them. Yeah. We're talking... You know, read the Bible in a year, so a few chapters a day, and say your prayers. What is that, 15 minutes a day? And you can do it coming or going here and there. Now, you want to do more than that? Great. Well, don't lose sight of that. Do that and build from there. Priorities. And if you're excited about the idea of starting a business, I would imagine that starting a business requires a lot of menial, seemingly boring tasks. So if you're not going to get your Bible reading done, good luck trying to start a business. And priorities. If you don't do the key things, if, if you are some weirdo that isn't doing the most important things, you're, you're stenciling your counter instead of <laughs> hiring your accountant, 
you know, you yeah. need to do the pr priority things. Yeah. So do the most important things first. We're never, nobody gets everything done, right? No. So you're only gonna, if you, you gotta do the most important things first, that's part of the discipline. And it's a discipline, it's something that's learned and practiced and you fail at it all the time. Yep. And so you get, get up and do the next thing. A um, couple more questions here. What is the church's role in vocational training and entrepreneurial dominion? Too often it seems that souls are fed by the church and hustlers are fed by Gary V. <laughs> nice. I'll direct that one to, to Andrew first. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, this is where we need to uh, we need to take back. You know, the reformers had to do um, some really interesting work because they need to get back this idea of all vocations are uh, a glory to God, and um, and I think the church um, has bought into the sacred secular divide. Unfortunately, the church in America, where it's like, well, um, we're going to do the spiritual thing, and then the work's going to do the other thing, um, and I think men's conferences like this. Um, are clear that we need to be pushing on that. Um, does the church need to get into teaching you how to weld? Uh, maybe not. Does a man in the church need to start a godly welding school? 100%, right? Um, and so um, we need to get back to understanding that our vocation is a, um, is, can be a glory to God in the way that we do it, and we need to be faithful in that. And we need more faithful preachers who realize that that's part of how we um, build the kingdom of God. Um, and then I think men need to step up and have distinctly Christian fill-in-the-blank. I, I just want to say something about what I've heard you talk about and others that I think are thinking about business um, in a different way than um, what evangelicals have thought about um, business a lot. We, we say that we don't, uh, we don't hold to the sacred-secular divide, but most of us thought about being a Christian at work, meaning maybe I'll put my Bible on the desk, um, maybe occasionally I'll get a chance to witness to somebody, I'll be a good example by being a good employee, but, but that's it. Rather than thinking about business, and, and whether you're an employee or an employer, as a way of blessing people, as, as a way of loving people, like I want to give, I want to, I want to work here in such a way that my neighbor, maybe it's my coworker, maybe it's my employer, maybe it's the people like like your um, blessings in your company. Th these things are existing. God has given us businesses. God has given us businesses so that we can bless others. Right. He's given you a job. Not just so you can provide for your family, not just so you can make money. He's giving you a job to do so you can bless others. That's why they buy your service, because mm -hmm. they want the blessing, right? Or that it, I think is a, there's a way to think about that a lot more. Um, so you're not a hustler. You're, you're thinking about instead being somebody who's providing and giving um, to others. Um, technical question. Uh, if so, Andrew, you mentioned this alternative to AWS yep. stack. Um, what about applying that idea to more consumer electronics? Um, so the, the comment here is operating systems that maximize user freedom and privacy exist. The hardware and firmware are lacking. So there's a problem. Um, if there's a problem and you have the skills to fix it and you have the scale and capacity to fix it, then you should do it. Yeah. And it's going to be super hard. Um, but you should, because yeah, um, Apple and Google are listening to us all the time and trying to control our lives. And <laughs> there's a lot of bad people at those organizations. Um, and so 
Um, yeah, I think anytime a Christian's willing to take a problem. Now, I would encourage you, don't try and take on a problem that's way out of your league, right? Don't be like, I'm going to create the next smartphone from scratch. Um, there was actually an organization, um, I loved what they were doing, but unfortunately they failed. I think it was called the Wise Phone. Uh, what, Techless, yes. Uh, yep, Techless. I don't know where they are now, but they were trying to create basically a phone that would not ha allow pornography. Um, really, really good. Um, and, and they're struggling to get that thing across the finish line um, in a way that, that works. So just, you know, now at the same time, failing at a good thing is good for your soul sometimes. Uh, but just, you know, don't extend your arm farther than you can pull it back, as Proverbs says. So just know what capacity and what league you're in before you decide you're going to go pitch for the Mariners. Any books to recommend on learning to build or scale a business? Yeah, there's a lot of really terrible business books out there um, that I could recommend. Um, but uh, but there's a, there, there are definitely some good ones. Um, if you are thinking about starting a business, I would encourage things like The Lean Startup. I always encourage people to read The Lean Startup and also read Zero to One by Peter Thiel at the same time. Because the lean startup kind of falls into the trap of everything systematic. As long as you paint by numbers, the business will succeed. Whereas Peter Thiel in Zero to One talks about the creativity of like it didn't exist and now it does exist. And so it's this this mix of the systematic and the and the creative that you need to um, do those together. Um, there's not a lot of good Christian business books. I think someone should write one. That that's a problem you see. I, yeah, I don't, I don't see a lot of good, hmm. godly Christian so business So we'll be expecting books. a book from you. Daggone it. <laughs> My wife wrote a book. Does that help? <laughs> Look, I'm sub-GED sub crappy shits. I have zero education. I couldn't spell my way out of a wet paper bag. Leave me alone. <laughs> what, what resources are out there for help with legal questions? Um, so you mentioned the um, Employee yeah. Bill of Rights. Other, any other resources you would point people to? How to get yeah. in touch with the right lawyers? Uh, yeah, Laura, the labor lawyer, is actually, she only works part-time for me, and she actually is a labor lawyer. Um, and it's fun to say Laura, the labor lawyer. Um, so uh, she takes on clients. Um, I don't know if she can in Washington. Maybe she can. I know she's passed the bar in Idaho and California, which means Washington probably, but I don't know. Um, but she's fantastic. Um, you know, I'll be honest, I have a great Christian labor lawyer in New York who is not cheap, um, but when you're going into some of the big sticky things, it's nice to have a New York lawyer because it scares people. Um, and so if you're about to go into a conversation with uh, your uh, company and you know that it may turn into a legal fight, you should have a New York labor lawyer um, that you're friends with because even just throwing that out there that you, his name is Joe Ruda, um, and, and he's a dogfighter and a great Christian man and ready to punch anybody in the mouth. So, um, but you need a lawyer. Um, you know, there's great legal resources, employee bill of rights, but at the end of the day, no one's impressed by your knowledge of an employee bill of rights. They're impressed by the fact that you have um, a labor lawyer that they're afraid of. Great. Um, it's 11.45, I wanna get us out before noon, so we'll close it there. Thank you guys, and uh, grab your, uh, let's thank these guys and then we'll sing something, so thank you. Thank you.